identity and talking uh, through what it, what it means to belong to Christ. And sort of the premise here is that normally when we hear a talk on identity, uh, we'll hear things such as you are a son or you are a daughter, you belong to Christ, and, and then it's like a big exclamation point there, and that's all we hear. And as Ben and Tom and Krista and I were chatting about like what, what we wanted to see and what we felt like God wanted to see in our community was this understanding, this realization of what we carry, who we are, and what we carry for the community around us. Um, which, you know, goes beyond just recognizing, gosh, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, but realizing that you carry the transformative power of Jesus in you so that wherever you go, Jesus is walking right along with you. It's a, it's a shift of perspective. And so last week, if you haven't listened to the podcast, I'd really encourage you to do so. Ben uh, Barnhart, our community life pastor, spoke on um, community and really just truly what a gift community is from the Lord. Community is such a gift. Sarah and I have come to know that personally here over the past year and a half. If you go, um, I don't know. I just don't know what I do. Um, you know, we went probably six months without a small group, and there's just this vacancy. You just know when, it's, when community's not happening in your life. Community's such a gift from God. And I know many of you, your story is the same. We, that we get to do life together um, is such a gift from the Lord. And it's, it's the way that He's designed it. Like Ben had said, community is God's design. It's the it's, his design for us is the upward spiral of community. I just love that. We're not meant to do life alone. We're truly meant for more. We're meant for more. And that's what the series has been called. And originally, we didn't intend to do a book series, like to stay in Ephesians. But the more and more we read through it, we were like, gosh, Paul's really talking about identity here, like the whole thing. Why don't we just stay in Ephesians? And so... We are. And today um, we're going to talk about glory. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And I re- wanted to read a couple of different versions to you. I wanted to read the NIV first. Does it sound like I'm in a cave? I feel like I'm in a cave right now. <laughs> Come out of it. Okay. Um, All right, so we're going to be Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And Paul writes this uh, to the church at Ephesus. He says, In Him, he's talking about Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And I really love what 
Eugene Peterson writes, he, he's uh, paraphrased the Bible in this amazing paraphrase, paraphrased version called The Message. And listen to, how he, listen to how he puts it. This is amazing. This is the same verse. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. We're meant for more. We're meant for more than simply existing. We're meant for more than simply struggling through our days. And we're meant for more than uh, settling for second best. We're meant for more. We're meant to know who we really are and who God really is and what it is we truly carry inside if we claim Christ as Savior of the world. You were meant to make a difference. You're meant for more. As we've said before, you're not just a collection of cells that's been heaped together and to live out your days. I've been watching this um, Ricky Gervais show about, um, it's called Derek. Are any of you familiar with it? He's this worker at, a, at an elderly home. And um, he's, uh, he may be on the autism scale, but they never really reveal it. But anyway, he's just like the kindest soul to these folks who are on, uh, in the winter of their lives and ready to check out. And there's this overriding theme that life is precious, that your, your life matters. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here, is that you were meant for more. More than simply existing, but you were meant to make a difference in this world. Meant to make a difference in your family. Meant to make a difference in the city. You're meant for more. And today we want to get at, um, well, what does it mean, you know, meant to be a praise of his glory? Because as I was studying and meditating on this passage over the course of the past couple of weeks, that phrase just kept on coming to my mind, that we were meant to be a praise of his glory. A praise of his glory. And at first, well, for the better part of a week, I was like, what the heck does this even mean? It sounds like all these, it sounds like a religious jumbo or jumble. All these religious words being thrown together, a praise of his glory. It sounds really preachy and churchy. And as I prayed, I was like, will you, will you help us understand what this means, Lord, as a community? And he led me to a couple of different places, and they were all not commentaries. So <laughs> I hope theologically, uh, okay. Um, there is this woman, and she was named... Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she was a contemplative. She was a mystic in the church years ago. 
And she had a rough life growing up, um, but at seven years old, she said, I'm going to be a nun. And sure enough, uh, when she grew up, she became a nun. And she was always known as like carrying the sense of Jesus' presence about. And um, she would refer to herself as a praise of his glory. Listen to what she says. She says, a praise of glory, I love this, is a soul of silence that remains like a lyre, like the instrument, under the mysterious touch of the Holy Spirit so that he may draw from it divine harmonies. It knows that suffering is a string that produces still more beautiful sounds. So it loves to see this string on its instrument that it may more delightfully move the heart of God. How amazing. As she's seeing herself, as she's looking inside at herself, she's seeing, because she carries something of the presence of God, it's not like, when you hear this, that you're meant to be a praise of his glory. Immediately, I think we hear like, We're meant to go do amazing stuff for God and to make his name like famous in all of the earth. And that might be, there might be some truth to that. But Elizabeth of the Trinity says, no, like a praise of his glory. You're meant to be a praise of his glory in everything that you are. You're meant to be like this guitar that's to be plucked by the, the master's hands. You're meant to be played by the master's hands to be a praise of his glory. And that includes suffering. And we'll get more on that later. And this is what we're made for. We're made for glorious living. You know that, um, what's that John Piper quote? I don't quote John Piper very often. But we're most happy when God is... Uh, God is most satisfied when we're most happy in him. Like, he's, he's happy when we're happy. That's the truth. When we're living out of who we are and living out of what we're meant, meant for, there's a significance and a, a richness to life that comes. That He draws divine harmonies. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we're going to shift into talking about glory here. How long, Ben, how, will you keep me honest? Both in content and by the clock. Thanks. Um, <laughs> what's the time, though? When do I have to be done? Okay, deal. More time than I thought. All right. (laughs) Uh, As the waters cover, so good. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here in Habakkuk, we find out where the earth is headed. We talked about what we're meant for. We're meant for glorious living. We're meant for glory. And it's my hope and my encouragement to you that we would see ourselves as Elizabeth of the Trinity saw herself, as the Lord sees you, that you're headed for glory, that you're meant for glory, and that the earth is meant for glory. 
When Jesus died at the cross, he started the recreation of all things. He said, behold, I'm here to make all things new, brand new, to redeem things, to redeem people. It's the reconstruction, it's the, it's the transformation of all things under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it starts at the cross. Habakkuk says in 2.14, this is where the whole earth is going. It's not just you and your family going to sweet glory be in the by and by. It's all things that are being recreated. All things under the lordship of Jesus as what? As the waters cover the sea, the glory of the Lord, if you can imagine, covering the waters of the sea. What does that even mean? Waters covering the sea? Isn't the sea made of water? You find that odd? That's a little bit confusing to me. It makes sense when your heart hears it. Yeah, let the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters of the sea, but it makes no sense unless we break it down. What does it mean? Can you hold, can you hold a, um, water in your hands as a solid? Well, yeah, I guess you can in ice form. Okay, that's a bad analogy. What Habakkuk is talking about is saturation, that everything and everyone would permeate with the glory of the Lord. It's the sense before the world was created, the Holy Spirit hovering over the void, hovering over the void. The, as the waters cover the sea, the Old Testament word for glory is similar to weightiness, this heaviness, not in like depression kind of way, but this weightiness of, of God that he... he He's here, subjective, like, presence. Because you could walk out of here this morning, and you could be like, hot dang, that was a sweet word, and I'm ready to go live my life. I'm so encouraged for Jesus. And your neighbor would be like, that was the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. God's doing something individually in each one of you, and you'll walk away with different things, right? Subjective, presence of God. He's here with all of us, but he touches us in different ways. Objective, glory of God. When it's undeniable, have you been in situations before, even, I'm not talking about just church, where there's the undeniable heavy weightiness of God in a place, whether it's with your family, I, uh, or whether it's here, where you just know without a shadow of a doubt, the glory of God is coming. And we'll later find out that it's not like relenting either. It's not this hills and valleys sort of thing that we like to picture life. It's ever increasing in your life. Even though you might not feel like it. You might look around your life and you might not feel like, gosh, the, the heaviness of God is just resting on my life and I don't know what to do. There's so much glory. There's so much goodness in my life. You're like, rent's due. I don't know how to pay it. My mom's got cancer. Where is glory in that? Elizabeth of the Trinity says, even in suffering, glory is increasing. As the waters cover the sea, glory is increasing. Mm. Hmm. 
Where do I want to go next? Okay, after, okay, Matthew 17. I'll read it from here. Matthew 17, this is really sweet. Matthew 17, verse uh, 1, says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. How many disciples did Jesus have? Shout it. How many did he take with him? Three. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter, <laughs> Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. He's freaking out. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, there's some context stuff there. It's like the Feast of Booths. Um, while, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. His appearance changed. Listen, listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. His appearance changed from the inside out. Something like sunlight poured from his face. What happens when glory comes to a soul? What happens when glory settles on a community of believers in Jesus? Something like sunlight pours from their eyes, from their faces. Have you ever come into contact with someone that um, the gospel writer Matthew is describing like Jesus was? Where, some, where they're, they're changed from the inside out and something like sunlight is pouring from their face. What is going on? And that person, I got to get what they got. What, some, they're not on any type of drug that I know of. What is happening in that person's life? What happens when glory comes? We're changed. But the problem is, is that he took three, not twelve. Um, oftentimes I find the case in my life, and this may be like, you, you may resonate with this, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I find myself more with the eight than I do with the three, sadly. And I don't know how that played out. Matthew said he took three. And I don't know if he went like to the twelve and he was like, you, 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 come with me. Or it was like, you know, hey, we'll go with you. And the others didn't want to or were busy doing something else. Or It's all that stuff, isn't it? But I find myself more and more wanting to be part of that three. I want to I know I want to be with Jesus. I want to be where he's at. And if he's going up the mountain and his face isn't pouring with sunlight yet, you know, God, grant me grace to believe that sooner or later something like sunlight will pour out of his face. Oh, that we would be a community of the three and not the eight. 
how does this happen? How do we get to be part of the three? Is it a popularity contest? No. Jesus isn't really picky about where he shows up. Shows up in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem. God's not real picky about where he shows up. I remember um, one time early on in Augusta. (laughs) This is funny. One time early on in Augusta, I was telling this story the other night. Um, We had friends come up from Columbus. Or down, I should say. Come down from Columbus. And I think Sarah and I, we were in our kitchen and... You know, we were, uh, <laughs> we were, for lack of a better word, we were like complaining about our situation. It was early on in Augusta. We had no friends. We felt like we had no friends, I should say. And we were just like, you know, it's not like Columbus. Like Joshua House was so awesome. Vineyard Columbus was so awesome. We just miss it. And, and our friend Rob who co-pastors the Delaware City Vineyard in, in Delaware, Ohio. He was just so kind and so gentle. And he was like, you know, he's like, could it be, Evan, that it's not like Vineyard Columbus that you miss? <laughs> like, really challenging. He's like, could it be that it's not like um, Joshua House that you miss, but it's the presence of Jesus? It's the, it's the glory of God? And you know, Evan... It's like so gentle. You know, Eben, that's not too difficult. God's more willing than you are to like build, you know, build the, you know what I'm talking about? Like building the presence of Jesus in a place. That's not uncommon. He's, He's willing to like build his church wherever you are. But I'm so often with the eight and not the three who go with them. I'm like, I'm like, it was so good back then. How many of you are, are you tracking with me? It was so good back then with that group of people at that place. I wish it could be like that. I wish it could be like that again. Others of you may, might be like, I'm done with that. I'm ready to move forward. What's next? What's next? And Jesus would have another word for you. Be present. <laughs> So we're both in the same boat, as it were. But um, I'm so often like with the eight and not with the three. And I want to be with the three. And he's not picky about where he shows up. So how do, we, how do we do that? What does it mean to be a praise of his glory? Not to do things for the praise of his glory. Have you been around people like that? It's for God's glory. Amen. They're all religious and stuff. We did it for God's glory. That's what we did it for. Make sure you did. <laughs> uh, you're meant to be a praise of his glory. Not to do things for the praise of his glory. There's a huge difference. And how does this happen? How does this come about? How are you made into a praise of his glory? 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 18 says this. Check it. Even to this day, when Moses is read, he's talking about the law, Ten Commandments. When Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. 
But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing. No length. Paul is not saying there will be hills and valleys in your life of the presence of God, of the glory of God. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? Quick, Exodus 34. What the heck is Paul talking about? Unveiled faces, veiled faces, whenever the law is read. Exodus 34, 29. He just gets the Ten Commandments on the hill. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Crazy good. What's going on here? How do we we become a praise of his glory? We behold. We behold God's goodness, we behold the person of Jesus. There's this story that Max Lucado Lucado writes. Um, It's called You Are Special. Do you know You Are Special? Do you know this story? It's a lovely children's book. We should all read it on a Sunday morning together. And it's about this one little fellow. He's uh, wooden, I believe, like Pinocchio, but his name is Punchinello. Punchinello. And Punchinello goes around, and all day for all of the good things that he does, he gets what? Blue stars. People stick blue stars on him. And for all of the bad things and all of the mistakes, people put, is it yellow dots? Red dots? Red, some kind of dot. Anyway, they're marking him. They're leaving their mark on him for all of the mistakes and all of the bad things that he's done. And so he meets this other uh, wooden figure, and she says, and he goes, I, he's covered in stars and dots. And he's like, I don't know how to move anymore. He's paralyzed by it. He can't move. And she's like, well, you got to go see Eli, the woodcarver. And the more you spend time with Eli, just go spend time with Eli. And so every morning, Punchinello gets up and he goes to see the woodcarver, his creator, right? And each time he leaves after time with Eli, what, what happens? Some of those stickers start to like fall off. As he walks away. It's such a beautiful picture of what we're talking about here. Because God's glory is meant to be transformative. 
There's something that's ever increasing on your life. <laughs> it's not hills and valleys. It's ever, in, and this is tough to get our heads around, but I want to I wanna try, try and get it. He wants to make your face shine with glory. Unmistakable. And that's, how, that's why we're called to be the most peculiar people on the face of the planet, because we're the ones with shiny faces. Not happy, shiny people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the radiance of something like sunlight pouring from our faces because we're so lit up with the glory of God inside of our lives, we can't escape it. The psalm says that you have two friends that you cannot get rid of as you walk through those doors Monday through Saturday. You won't be able to shake them. They're going to hunt you down. It's goodness and mercy Goodness and mercy will follow you how many? Four days of your life? No, all of the days of your life, goodness and mercy shall follow you. Why? Because you claim Christ and he lives inside of you. The hope of glory, radiance, beaming from your face. Have you ever heard countenance, this word, the countenance? Oh, what does it mean? The etymology of, so Moses, the scriptures say that is, His countenance changed. Jesus, something like from the inside out, was changed. What does that mean? The etymology of the word countenance is uh, Latin, and there's some old Spanish stuff hanging around in there. And when people would say this word, what they would mean, what they would mean is Seeing your face as a container, countenance, container, containing your face, containing the glory of God. And as we start to talk more and more about the glory, some of you are experiencing right now, he's coming. It's not just some theological study. He's coming now. Ah, that a church would know how to worship Jesus. You should be looking for that. It should be a mark of healthy Christian community. Where's the glory? Where are the radiant faces? Where are the ones sunlight is pouring from them? I want to be around them. That's where the spirit of the Lord is moving. Even now as we talk, he's coming. He's coming. It's not just subjective presence. He wants us to experience this together. Some of you are experiencing, even now, as the truth is being shared, glory is settling. Countenance, your face, the container filled with the light of Jesus. And Matthew says, let your light so shine. Jesus says this in Matthew. Let your light so shine, so shine, so shine. Before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're meant for glory. Jesus has plenty to share. He's not running out of more glory. He's like, oh, more twinkle dust. Got to make their face shine again. I'm going to run out. No. How can you exhaust an inexhaustible resource? He's happy to share glory with you. He's honored that you would want glory from him. Up to God be the glory. How falsely humble can we be as a people? It was all him, nothing to do with me. No, Christ in you, Christ partnering with you to shift culture around you and to come under the lordship of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Christ in you, let your light so shine. Hide my light under a bushel. 
No. I'm going to what? I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Why not? What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? I'll tell you, you let your light shine before men, and you think what? Oh, man, I'm, I'm being arrogant. You attack your own person, or you think, oh, man, they're going to think, blah, 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 control. Who cares? Who cares if people think that you're arrogant? There's probably like one person out there that might think that. One. You know what the rest of the people are going to do? You know? They won't think that you're arrogant. They'll be like, gosh. They'll either question what's happening. What's happening? What's happening in their hearts? What's happening in their lives? What did they have that I don't have? If they don't have it. Or they'll say, gosh, God is good. God is good. You are one of God's good stories. How dare you hide that from people? I'm one of God's good stories. Taking me from a crack house? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm one of God's good stories, and I'll say it, and I'll live it, and I'll, and I'll believe in as much grace that I'm afforded that I'm here for a purpose and that I'm meant for glory. I'm meant for it, and you're meant for it. So let, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That they may see your good deeds. There's this poem. It's by Yeats. It goes like this. If I make the lashes dark and the eyes more bright and the lips more scarlet or ask if all be right from mirror after mirror, no vanities displayed. I'm looking for the face I had before the world was made. That's it. When we take a second glance in the mirror, when you pause to look again at a photograph, we're looking for a glory you know you were meant to have. You think it's God's purpose and design for you to live in a state of false humility your whole entire life? Mm-mm. God's desire, God's design for you is glorious living, is full living. Does that exclude suffering? No way. Not for a minute. You remember faintly that you were once more than what you've become. Your story didn't start with sin, and thank God it doesn't end with sin. It ends with glory restored. Romans 8.30, those he justified, he what? Also glorified. And in the meantime, you're being transformed, and you're being renewed. You've been given a new heart. Now God is restoring your glory. He's bringing you fully alive, because the glory of God is you fully alive. That's what the glory of God is, you fully alive. Well then, if this is all true, why don't I see it? You say, well, exactly. <laughs> now we're reaching the whole point of it. Because the fact that you don't see your good heart and your glory is only proof of how effective the assault of grace has been on your lives. We don't see ourselves clearly. Nelson Mandela wrote that the mystery of God's will is that we are 
we are of God's glory, and perhaps it is that of that which we're afraid. See, see in order for you to, to see yourself as you truly are before God, it's going to require you to let go of fear. Because glory and fear can't occupy the same space. Listen to what Nelson Mandela says. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant? Who are we to not be? You are a child of God. You're a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world at all. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking back so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just some of us, it's everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I hear these words echoing the scripture today. If only more and more people could hear and know that they are all a praise of God's glory and that there are gifts within us that are meant for everybody, for everybody to see, to see. People need to see it. People need to see that you are a praise of God's glory. And it's not hard. It's not hard to get. And I'm not saying this from a place of like, I think I've achieved something here. I don't think it's hard to get because that's not who the Father is. Why would he make it unobtainable for us? If he said it in the book, to become a praise of his glory, I don't think it's hard. I just don't think. I don't think he's like that. I don't think he's like... I don't think he's like the kind of God who like calls you to jump, jump through like hoops and stuff. It's not who he is. We sing it. He's a, he's a good... You're a good, good father. Glory of the Lord <laughs> covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. The glory of the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the glory of the Lord covering the earth? The waters cover the sea. His, that's his desire. Can you hear the heart of God in that? Huh? 